Too often, Black women are a mere afterthought in conversations around wellness, but not in this space. On this podcast, the dialogue is always centered around women like you. So join me and we'll share in the experiences and expertise on some of the most fascinating women in wellness. From relationship convos to tough discussions on things like the Black maternal health crisis, to lighthearted banner on my own personal wellness journey, this podcast will deliver everything you need to get it together physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. This is our space. Welcome to the podcast, but more importantly, welcome to the tribe. Be well, sis. Hey, sis. Welcome back to the Be Well, Sis podcast. My name is Cassandra Dunbar, and let me tell you, I am so excited for today's episode. I've been following Mila of thehangrywoman.com for a very long time. I follow her on Instagram because her food photography is just beautiful. She has such a bubbly personality and she is such a good writer. Like Her captions are always on point. So I slid in her DMs and I was like, listen, I love what you do. I love how much of an advocate you are for those living with type 2 diabetes. And I'd love to have you on the show. I wasn't thinking that she'd actually say yes, but she immediately responded and was like, yeah, let's figure out some dates and we made it work. So our conversation was so awesome. It was better than I imagined it would be. Like she has a great personality online and is the same exact, if not better, um, just in speaking to her. She's such a good time. Not only is she a good time, but she's just a wealth of information for those who have type 2 diabetes. She just knows so much about the subject. And I love where her blog, The Hangry Woman, uh, came from. It was birthed from not having resources for type 2 diabetics. And she's like, you know what? I don't find what I need, so I'm going to create it because I know other people need the same thing. So you guys are really in for a treat. Whether or not you have type 2 diabetes, there are gems for every single one of us. Mila Clark Buckley is a type 2 diabetes patient advocate and digital storyteller who started her food blog, The Hangry Woman, after being diagnosed with type 2 diabetes and struggling to find approachable resources to help her manage the chronic condition back in 2016. Hangrywoman.com covers topics like diabetes management, cooking, travel, self-care, and more from the perspective of someone living with type 2 diabetes. Mila's work has been featured by GE, Social Media Today, Travel Noir, Healthline, WebMD, Houston Press, and Yahoo Lifestyle. She has also traveled the globe to talk about her life with type 2 diabetes. Now, Hangry Woman is a destination for those men and women to learn about self-care, health, beauty, food, and health topics that used to be, quote, off limits. So without further ado, let's go ahead and get into the conversation with Mila. Actually, before we do that, I need you to do two things for me. If you're not part of the community on Instagram at bewellsis underscore podcast, go ahead and follow along. Also, As you're listening right now, go ahead and screenshot your phone and add to your stories and share with your friends, share with the world what you're doing right now as you're listening to the podcast. All right, let's get into it. What was your initial um, diagnosis? Like, what was your journey to become? Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. So um, when I was first diagnosed or a few months before I was first diagnosed, I had all of the symptoms of type two diabetes and really just didn't, I just didn't know. And so I, you know, I was tired all the time. I was constantly hungry. Like it didn't matter how much I ate. I would just want to eat everything all the time. Um, I had to get up in the middle of the night every hour to go to the bathroom. I wasn't getting any sleep and I kind of chalked it up to stress and working a lot because at the time I was working at a nonprofit. I was working 50 or 60 hours a week sometimes with events and I was like the sole social media manager. So I had to cover every night, every weekend. So I was always working and I just thought if I take a break and if I get some sleep, it'll be fine. And what something just told me go to the doctor and it wasn't like a, like a push, like I should go to the doctor or I need to do this. It was kind of like something just feels off and it can't just be work. And so I finally went and when I got there, I told the doctor all of my symptoms, told him everything that was happening. And so he did kind of the general physical tests and I went and I just said, I want a physical. I just want to make sure everything's okay. And I left the office and got a call from the nurse in his office. And she said, when can you come back to the doctor? He wants to see you immediately. Mm-hmm. And that to me was really terrifying because they don't ever call you back that fast. And mm-hmm. they don't ever tell you that you need to come back right then and there. Um, so I booked my next appointment. I think it was like a couple of days later. I went back and he gave me my diagnosis. And he said, you have type 2 diabetes and you're 26. So it doesn't make a lot of sense. But your A1C, which is your average glucose measurement, is 12%. And that typical average glucose for someone who's not diabetic is under 5%. Mm -hmm. So I was way, way over. And I think I had an average fasting blood sugar of like 323 milligrams per deciliter. Mm -hmm. Typically, a normal, I say normal, but like a normal person is around 70 on average, 70 to 100. So it was really jarring to see those numbers and to hear what the normal and the healthy levels were and to see where I was. And it was just this really strange thing to feel like, okay, this has been the thing that's been wrong the whole time, but how do I fix it? Mm -hmm. Um, And so when I had an opportunity to ask questions of the doctor and just kind of try and figure things out, he wasn't really that helpful to me. And he basically said, go home, change your diet, exercise, and come back and see me in three months for another A1C test. And in my brain, I was like, but I'm already doing those things. I'm already eating the best I can. I'm making sure that I'm cooking meals at home and they're healthy. And a lot of them have like they're plant-based and I'm not eating a lot of like fatty foods and I'm exercising. And I had just lost 30 pounds, which was also something that was really jarring to me was I was doing all of these things to lose weight because of kind of like the vanity. Like I was just like, I want to look better. Mm -hmm. Um, And I didn't know that I was having these like underlying health issues as well. So just hearing that from him, I was like, I've already done this. What else am I supposed to do or how much harder do I have to work to get back to a healthy level? And um, I just didn't feel like I got the support that I needed. And so I 
went online and I looked to see if anybody else was writing about type 2 diabetes or talking about how they were living with it. And I really couldn't find anyone. I couldn't find anybody who wanted to talk about it. Mm -hmm. And there, you know, the type 1 diabetes community is very strong and there are a lot of voices there, but type two seemed like people hid a lot more. Um, I think because of the shame and stigma that came along with it. So I just started, I decided to start my my blog, the hangry woman because of that. And then it's become this community for people with type two diabetes who can talk openly about what they're struggling with or the things that they're doing positively to be able to live a healthy life with type two. Yeah. And, and I, I love the work that you're doing. I really do. And because I don't have type 2 diabetes, I never considered what somebody who does have it is living with, you know? And like you said, there's a huge community of people with type 1 diabetes. With type 2 di- diabetics, there's, like you said, a lot of uh, stigma attached to it. It's like... Um, people think that like, well, you caused this to happen. And what makes me think of this but in particular is um, the conversation around Lizzo, um, I think about two weeks ago um, from Jillian Michaels. Did you hear the interview at all? Yeah. So I actually wrote a blog about it because after I heard the interview, I got really upset Mm -hmm. because to me it was like, it was one stigmatizing people with type two diabetes Mm -hmm. and say, and perpetuating the myth that if you're fat or if you look unhealthy or you look a certain way that you automatically have type two diabetes and people should be concerned about your health. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And so to me, it's like one, it's nobody's business, but two people keep perpetuating these myths about people with type two diabetes that we're lazy or that we don't want to take care of our health or we don't want to be healthy people. And so when I heard that interview, it just made me so frustrated. And it, it was kind of like the culmination of all the things that I'm always talking about with type 2 diabetes, because it was like, you can't judge someone else's body based on your own opinion. You don't know their health. You don't know what shape they're in. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can't point that finger at someone and put that label on someone without being their doctor or being them, you know? And so I just, I thought it was really interesting Um, especially because it was directed toward Lizzo because we don't talk about other celebrities like that. Like we don't talk about Ashley Graham like that or Mm -hmm. Rebel Wilson or James Corden. Like Mm -hmm. nobody ever looks at them and says like, oh, wow, they have bigger bodies. Like they must have type two diabetes. And Mm -hmm. so it was interesting to have that like projected on Lizzo instead Mm -hmm. of focusing on her talent and the fact that she performs for two or three hours straight every night dancing and twerking and singing you know and instead of focusing on that just focusing on like her outward appearance and saying like because you look like that you probably are going to get type 2 diabetes and I just thought that was so unfair absolutely and honestly I feel like that attitude possibly is what like that infiltrated your communication with your own doctor for him to just say well just change how you eat and you know exercise more did he even ask you like what you are doing currently? You know what I mean? Or did no. he just tell you that and just sent you on your way? Yeah, exactly. And so that was the interesting part of my conversation was that I didn't even get a chance to tell him I'm coming to you 30 pounds lighter. I'm mm-hmm. coming to you after having overhauled pretty much everything that I was doing in my life, not sleeping enough, not eating enough or eating the wrong foods or foods that like weren't going to be good for me because they were convenient. And I was like, I'd gotten to a place where I had actually done really good work and and none of that was acknowledged. The only thing that was acknowledged was like, 
this is where you are now and you're in a terrible place. And if you don't fix it, you're going to be in an even worse place. And there was no encouragement. And so I think a lot of people go through that when they first get their diagnosis because they walk into an office where they don't feel encouraged or they don't feel hopeful that they can actually live a positive and healthy life. Mm -hmm. They just get the doom and gloom and the the conversation about all of the complications and you're going to get your foot amputated and you're going to have be at increased risk for heart attack. And those things are good to know. You should know them. You should know that that's the road that it leads to if you don't take care of yourself. Mm -hmm. But that's not the first conversation that the doctor should have with you. It should really be like, this is the plan that we're going to put you on. This is why I'm asking you to do these things. This is why you're taking these medications. Here's mm -hmm. the next step. If this doesn't work and this isn't the right treatment for you, instead of that blame, like, what did you do or you did yeah. this to yourself? So I think that that conversation, especially for people with type two, just has to change when it comes to meeting with your physician and talking about it. Because I think that's why a lot of people decide not to take care of themselves. Um, yeah, they feel discouraged and they feel like they can't do it and it's an impossible task. And they're sent home with either not enough information or way too much information and they don't know where to start. And that's exactly where I was. I just didn't know where to start from where I was. and nobody else was really talking about how to do it either. So I would, you know, I just said like, why don't I just write about what I know and what I'm going through and, you know, maybe someone else will find it and it'll be helpful for them too. I, I love it. So besides going to your blog to find out more tips and some idea of where to go um, in their new diagnosis, what were some things that you would share that might be helpful to somebody who's newly diagnosed and doesn't have a supportive physician or medical community around them? You know, I think that it's really important to, as as much as you can, to seek out other people with type 2 diabetes. Um, and whether that is an in-person group, like a, uh, there's an organization that's really amazing. It's all over the U.S. called Diabetes Sisters. Mm -hmm. And it's open to anyone. And if you need help, if you need the ability to just talk to someone that understands what you're going through. There are physical meetup groups where people can meet together and talk. And then they also have like a pretty good um, online community that is around like Twitter and Facebook. And so you can go to those, those places to seek out other people who understand. But I think that's the thing that a lot of people need is they, you know, initially they feel isolated mm -hmm. and they may not know someone else with type 2 diabetes. Like I was lucky because my mom has type 2 diabetes um, and has for a long time. And so I was able, when I was diagnosed, she was the first person I was able to talk to and say, I really don't know what to do here and where to go. So I think that point of connection is really important. Um, there are online communities too. If you just kind of search like diabetes groups on Facebook, mm -hmm. um, I don't know that those are necessarily always the best place to go when you're first diagnosed because they can be overwhelming with information. Mm -hmm. um, but I do think it's, it's okay to lurk in those spaces and you don't necessarily have to jump in, but it could be a place to get just some good basics down without having to really like insert yourself into a conversation. So I think definitely just interacting with people and really trying to understand what they do and what positive things they do and not necessarily like 
you know, what all did you cut out of your life? But Mm -hmm. just like, what are the things that you're doing that are working for you? And then figuring out a way to adapt that if you can. That, that's great advice, because one thing that I've noticed around uh, people who are newly um, diagnosed is that they're like, well, I can't have sugar anymore. Well, I mean, that's kind of extreme, especially in our culture where um, sugar is in everything. And you can't just say, well, I'm not going to have any sugar anymore, but I'm going to have like potatoes like all day long, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. That, that education and knowing what you can still have without completely neglecting one part. Because I feel like if you stop doing one thing, Um, you're going to pick up another habit, if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, exactly. And I think that it's all about balance. Like Mm -hmm. living a life with type 2 diabetes doesn't mean that you have to deprive yourself or that you just have to eat lettuce and kale all day. (laughs) You can have, you know, really delicious foods and and still have the foods that are a part of your culture. Like I'm Jamaican. And so all of our like main dishes that I can think of are all carbalicious like everything has carbs in it yeah and so good and so instead of saying well I can't have rice and peas or I can't have a beef patty it's more of okay I can have this but what are the portion sizes that are going to fit within my goals for the day what can I eat at this time what does my plate look like and instead of saying I can't have any of that and I'm going to just say no and deprive myself it's more of you know, meeting your needs in a way that works with you. And, you know, you can have the rice and peas and the beef patty or the rice or, you know, whatever you want or the potatoes, but Mm -hmm. it's like, what does the rest of your plate look like and how do you balance it? So Mm -hmm. I think it just goes back to instead of depriving yourself or saying no, it's more about like, how can I do this in a way that helps me meet my goals and in a way that still keeps me healthy, still keeps my blood sugar in line, but that also makes me happy and makes me able to participate in a space that I'm already in. Gotcha. So good. And you mentioned that your mom also um, has type 2 diabetes. So was she, did you know about the condition um, before being diagnosed yourself, like outside of knowing that she had it? So did you feel like prepared in a way or... No, not at all. So it's really interesting because my mom had gestational diabetes first and Mm -hmm. then when she was pregnant with my brother and then it just stayed with her, it turned into type two. Mm -hmm. So I always noticed her taking insulin before meals or carb counting or looking at like the makeup of her plate or telling my dad, oh no, I can't have this many crackers, like cut it in half, you know, things like that. And I never really understood. I was just kind of like, okay, she watches what she eats. That's great for her. I never in a million years associated that with type two. And we just didn't talk about it, which was really interesting too, is um, she's been dealing with it since I was probably like 20 and I'm 30 now. So, I mean, it's, it's just been really interesting that we never really had the conversation until I got diagnosed, until I went to the doctor that day. And she was the first person I called when I got home and I was like, oh my God, this is what's happening. And she, you know, she was like, it's going to be okay. She's, mm-hmm. I've been living with this for 20 years. It's going to be all right. And so I just thought it was really interesting that she, she was able to help me in that way, but that she had been going through it for so long and she just never made a big deal of it. So I never really noticed that she was going through all of that. I see. Um, so she kind of, so is your father um, or her partner, is he um, diabetic as well? Or 
No, he's not. So it's really funny. He can eat literally like a gallon of ice cream and he's <laughs> fine. <laughs> you know, and it like just goes to show that it can or can't happen to anyone. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's really interesting that he has been very much of a support system for her. And he's also adapted to the changes that she's had to make so that her blood sugar stay in range and her A1C is in range when she goes to the doctor and all of that. Um, so that's a really just like interesting dynamic. And I think also it's rubbed off on my husband a little bit mm-hmm. because he sees how my dad treats my mom and how my dad is very careful about what he makes for her for dinner. And he's always like very conscious. And so I think my husband has seen that and has said, okay, I can be supportive in the same ways to you. Um, and so it's really nice to also have that support for myself from my own partner because I I need someone there and he's always there to help or to keep me on track or, um, you know, sometimes he'll be like, well, maybe you shouldn't have that extra scoop of ice cream or, you know, what's your blood sugar look like? And he's always, yeah, he's always checking up on me, which is really nice. Um, and so like I share my blood sugar numbers with him when I scan my Freestyle Libre and we just have a really good relationship in that way that he cares so much about how I'm doing and he gets just as excited when my A1C goes down or when I get a really good blood sugar after I scan. So, um, having him be there as a support system in that way is really crucial and I, I, know that not everyone has that, but I think if that person does exist in some way, whether it's a friend or your partner or your parent, um, it's always good to have that supportive person who is just always there for you and is always looking out for you too. Oh, definitely. That makes the journey just a little bit easier. Yeah, absolutely. Your spouse is, um, he's excited for you when your A1C is going down or your scans are good. What else can somebody do to support a loved one who's newly on their um, journey with type 2 diabetes? I think just be patient with them because for some people, it doesn't come as easy to overhaul your life and make the changes that you need to make to just become healthier. And lots of days with diabetes are frustrating. Um, I actually got the the name of my blog from my husband because (laughs) we were headed to dinner one night and I think I was having a low blood sugar. So I was having this terrible mood swing and I was just being so mean. I was horrible. And I was like, we got to get there faster. We're going to miss our reservation. I'm hungry. And he was like, you're not hungry. You're hangry. And I was like, what is hangry? I don't know what that is. And he was like, it's when you're hungry and angry. He was like, you are very hangry now. And later on, I was like, that's a really good name for a blog in like some way. And so it, it turned into that. Um, but I think perfect. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's so funny. and so perfect. And I think that, you know, in that moment, he was so patient with me. Instead of getting mad that I was mad, he was like, I'm going to let her stew in her little corner for a second. And then when she gets some bread, she'll be fine. (laughs) Um, And he, and, you know, knowing that those bad days can happen and that they're so discouraging sometimes that you just don't want to talk or you don't want to be around anyone or you just, you want your space. And so just having the patience as a caregiver to say, I'm going to give that person their space. I'm going to ask them what they need. Um, and, and then just let them do what they need to do to get back to a better place. And I think that's the best thing that you can do for your loved one who's going through it. Cause it's, it's hard to explain when you're not in it and when you're not dealing with it. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And so if you can take the step back and say, I'll be there for you however you need it, I think that's the best thing that you can do. Absolutely. And how has um, your diagnosis changed your relationship with food or changed your lifestyle at all? I think it's definitely, it's, it's kind of that balancing that I talked about before. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I don't shy away from foods that I enjoyed before and that I really like. So like last night I got invited to go to Shake Shack and I love their burgers. Yes. I can't have them all the time, but their burgers are so good. So mm-hmm. I was like, I'm going to go and I'm going to enjoy a burger and I'm going to enjoy some fries and I'm going to split a shake with my friend and it's going to be awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, and so having those moments where I'm like, I'm going to do this thing that I love or eat this thing that I love that may not necessarily be good for me, but I'm going to enjoy it. And then I'm going to get right back on track and make sure that I'm taking care of everything and that my other meals are balanced. Um, I think just having that mindset that it's it's not a deprivation kind of thing. You can still enjoy yourself, but just knowing that you have to get right back on track once you do have that fun um, and you have to keep track of of your numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's also made me really conscious about just overall lifestyle things. Like I, it's funny cause I'm 30 now and I don't know any other 30 year old who checks their blood pressure every week, but every week I'm like, let me check my blood pressure. Let me make sure that it's still in a good range and it's not going up because I know that diabetes has complications from, you know, it increases your risk for heart disease. Mm-hmm. Um, higher blood pressure is kind of a sign that you may be developing types of cardiovascular disease. So I keep track of more of those numbers. I keep track of more of what I'm doing. I'm always logging or looking at the carbs and things. Like I feel like my brain is like a carbohydrate dictionary. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And like I can think about any food and I know the amount of carbs in it. I know if it's like a slow absorbing carb or it's a quick one and how it affects my own uh, blood sugar. So I think it's just made me more conscious overall of what I'm doing and what I'm eating. But then also knowing that like, if I want something good, I'm going to have something good and I'll pay for it. Like my blood sugar is going to be high or I'm going to have to exercise or do something to compensate for it. Mm -hmm. But you know, life is meant to be enjoyed and as much as you can enjoy your life, especially kind of living with a little bit of the burden of type two diabetes every day, you should definitely do the things that make you happy. Mm, Definitely. Absolutely. And that is just like words of wisdom just for life in general, for sure. So you mentioned the slow absorbing versus the fast absorbing carbs. Please teach me. How did you learn all this stuff? Yeah. So a lot, a lot of it from reading, ton of it from reading. Um, I love reading books about nutrition and um, I see a dietitian also. So it's really interesting what I learn from seeing her and learn about different foods, especially because I take insulin. Mm -hmm. So I have to be really careful that I am eating the right amount of carbs for the insulin that I'm taking. Um, and knowing that I can kind of like back off my insulin a little bit if I am going to go lower carbs so that my blood sugar doesn't get too low. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really interesting because, I mean, when you're thinking about your blood sugar and you're thinking about the foods you want to eat, you really want to focus on foods with a lot of fiber. And that's typically like whole grains, um, like brown rice, that's like kale or um, 
carrots, like anything that has a lot of fiber, mm-hmm. it's always going to be a little more slow absorbing in your body because that fiber is going to counteract those carbohydrates or sugar um, and give you like a net carb, which is going to be a lower carb count. So when you focus on foods with a lot of fiber and a lot of protein, um, you end up with a really good kind of mix and balance on your plate, which doesn't spike your blood sugar as much. So it's yeah. always really good to like think about those things. And that's how you can kind of think about the absorption, like the more fiber that's in a food, typically it means that that absorption is going to be slower and it's going to carbo and it's going to counteract the carbohydrates in that food um, and give you a lower carb count so that you don't absorb as many carbs. It's really interesting. <laughs> so like our like white rice and like white bread and like our more processed foods, would you say those would be like the more faster absorbing? Um, exactly. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So those are the foods that are going to spike your blood sugar really fast and have you come crashing down. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas if you picked like a brown rice or a lentil or something of that nature that has a little bit more fiber, um, you will get a spike, of course, because there are carbohydrates in it, but it's not going to be as sharp of a spike and it's going to keep you more even and not just like drop you off a cliff so that you go from like a really high blood sugar to a really low one. Mm-hmm. Um, so that fiber is always so important. And, and when you have that um, crash, the blood sugar crash, that's when you have all those symptoms, right? So what would some symptoms of a low blood sugar be? Um, there are, are a lot. So you can get like confused and disoriented, mm-hmm. um, which is one of the scarier ones. And that is kind of when you're on the low, lower end of low or when you're starting to get there. Um, a lot of times for me, I get shaky. So I'll start my body will just kind of start shaking um, and I'll get really sweaty and just like a little bit dizzy. And that's kind of how I know. And I also have my glucose monitor, the Freestyle Libre. So I check all the time before I even get to that point. And when I can tell that I'm going down, I'm like, okay, let me eat something to kind of push me back up so that I don't get too low. Um, but a lot of the, the symptoms of a low blood sugar are very physical. And so you kind of, you know exactly when it's happening, like you feel really different. Um, And that's really interesting in relation to high blood sugar, because with high blood sugar, you really don't know that you're high. Like you can feel completely normal and feel like everything is okay. And then you scan or you take your blood sugar um, with your, like a finger prick. And then you look and you're like, oh wow, my blood sugar is over 200. I didn't feel that at all. I didn't feel anything. So it's why it's really important to check as much as you can check, because if you don't know where you are, you could be walking around with high blood sugars and feel totally, totally normal. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you're ending up kind of in like a, a, I guess like a, a worse place because you're definitely putting those, the risk for those complications in motion by not controlling your blood sugar and having it be on the higher side. Wow. And you mentioned that you see a dietitian. So did you start seeing a dietitian when you were first diagnosed or that's something that you started, you incorporated later? Yeah. So I asked to see, I asked if there were any specialists basically mm-hmm. that I should see because I did feel like I needed the extra help. So my doctor referred me to a dietitian and a diabetes educator. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the dietitian was really great in 
talking to me about the things that I liked to eat, the things that I really enjoyed. And so it was really cool to sit with her and to make a plan around, like, these are the things I typically eat in a day. This is what I really love. I really love mango, but I know that it has a ton of sugar. How do I do a better job of incorporating it without spiking my blood sugar? And so, you know, it was great to get tips from the dietitian um, who could tell me, if you want to have mango, it's okay, you can, but make sure it's on the greener side instead of it being on the more ripe side because the more that it ripens, the more sugar that sets in into it. So make sure that you're just eating something that may be a little less ripe. Um, so like little tips and tricks like that were really helpful as I was thinking about food. And then the diabetes educator was really great because she sat down with me and looked at my treatment plan and then helped me with tools that could better help my life. So she kind of taught me the ins and outs of taking my blood sugar, what the readings mean and why I should be looking at them, how many times I should really be testing my blood sugar a day. And so helping me get into those patterns and dive a little bit deeper um, because my doctor was a primary care doctor, so he just knew what medicines to give me, I think, but mm -hmm. I didn't really have like the education and the support, mm -hmm. which is where a diabetes educator is really helpful. Nice. Um, and are you still with the same doctor that you were with when you were originally diagnosed or have you changed providers? Yeah. So I changed providers. Um, <laughs> and it was awesome. I was so glad to do it. And it was really hard because I am personally a creature of habit. So even if something is not going that well, I hate change more than I hate it not going well. And so I'll just stay in a bad situation because I'm like, well, I am scared of the change, so I don't want to do it. And so I got to a point. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's wild because especially when it comes to your health, like you should have the best people on your team that you can and people who are supportive and who are encouraging. And it took me a really long time to decide that I just didn't want to go to that office anymore. And so then I finally found a new doctor who was great. And then of course with insurance and like the craziness of how insurance works, I had to switch insurances because I switched jobs and I couldn't see this new doctor that I really loved. And so then I finally found a new, new doctor who I see now and I love her. She um, got me on the Freestyle Libre. So I was able to check my blood sugar more. Mm -hmm. I used to check my blood sugar with around like six to eight finger sticks a day. So I'd have to take out mm -hmm. this needle and prick my finger six times a day at minimum, um, which is like... Oh it stops your life. Like I, I would be with my family and I'd be like, Oh, I have to go check my blood sugar or give, like, give me just a minute. Or I'd be at work and I would have to stop what I was doing at work to check my blood sugar. And so when I told my new doctor that she was like, why are you doing that? Like, why aren't you on a CGM? Why aren't you on something that is going to be so much easier for you? And she prescribed it to me like the first day, the first time. So it was awesome to have someone who was supportive and, and looking at my quality of life and mm -hmm. not just seeing me as this patient that she sees every three months, but really seeing my progress and seeing how much better I'm getting and how much more I'm improving and being open to just making sure that I am okay in a holistic way. And not just that I leave with the medicines I need to leave with, but 
that I actually have my questions answered and that I get the tools that I need. Um, and like, you know, being treated like a human being, which doesn't always happen when you go to the doctor. So it's been really nice to make that change and to have found someone who is supportive in that way. So if I could give any advice about that, it, you know, it's just like, if you're afraid of change, but you feel like your doctor isn't helping, like just find somebody else. There are millions of doctors in the world. Like you can find someone who's going to work with you and, and be kind to you and, you know, be a really good doctor to you. Absolutely. And, and you've mentioned the um, freestyle um, Libre. Yeah. Okay. So talk to me more about that. So the Freestyle Libre 14-day system is this uh, glucose sensor that you stick on your arm and it lasts for 14 days. It's really amazing. It's like this, um, it's a sensor probably the size of like, I don't know, like maybe like a half dollar, this little circle. You stick it on your arm, um, it warms up, and then you can scan it with either this reader or your phone and get your blood sugar numbers at a glance. So literally you just hold up your phone to your arm. It gives you the number and you know exactly where you are in that moment. And you can test as many times as you want in the 14 days. There's no limit. So if you want to test a hundred times a day, you could do that. Um, and it just gives you good data about your overall blood sugar. So the things that I love looking at are like your time in range, which is how long you're in your blood sugar range for however many day periods. So I think it does like a seven day, 14 day, 30 day, and 90 day. Um, and then you can also look at any patterns that you have. So if you are experiencing a lot of low blood sugars or a lot of high blood sugars, it can show you what times those happen. So you can kind of establish how you need to bring that up to your doctor in mm -hmm. terms of your treatment. And then the other thing that I love is it gives you your average glucose for... I want to say, I think it's that same thing, seven days, 14 days, 30 days, and 90 days. Mm -hmm. So you can kind of anticipate what your A1C is going to be like by knowing your 90-day glucose. Right. So it's not a surprise to you when you go to the doctor and you're not just kind of guessing or mm -hmm. just taking your numbers with you. It's kind of like you have everything in your hand and you know beforehand how well or not you're doing and what to tell your doctor mm -hmm. about the treatment that you're given and what you're going through. So I think it's an awesome tool. I do wish that it was something that everyone had and had access to. Mm -hmm. um, but it's definitely something that people should ask about and ask their doctors about to see if it's right for them. Mm -hmm. um, I have loved it. It's been such a joy to have it. I just got mine in October or mm -hmm. I think September or October. So I haven't had it for that long, just a few months, but it has just changed how I how I guess I think about diabetes because it's not on my mind every hour that I have to test anymore. It's just like, oh yeah, I need to test. And I scan my sensor. I look at my number and I'm like, okay, cool. And I make a note about it in my phone and I go back to life. And yeah. it's just something that just like makes you conscious of your diabetes, but in a positive way. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't overwhelm you, which I think is the best part about having it. It sounds empowering too. So if you have all those, um, you have the averages for the seven days and the 14 days, like you can look back on your week and say, hmm, maybe I was out of range for this time. I, I know I did this, this and this on these days. I can probably tweak that. So I, I love that idea. That's, that's huge. Yeah, it's amazing. It's a really great tool. Um, and I'm, I feel so lucky to have one. I just love it so much. And, 
anytime somebody sees the sensor on my arm, like if I'm wearing short sleeves and they see it, they're like, what is that? And I'm like, oh, do you have 20 minutes? Because let me tell you everything <laughs> about this thing. <laughs> so did you have to have the actual sensor installed in um, the doctor's office or you did it yourself? Like. Yeah, so you do it yourself. You oh, cool. you get like this little kit and mm -hmm. you can do it at home. It's just like an alcohol wipe and then you stick the little um it's like a I don't really know what it's called. There's some technical term for it, but it's like this little I don't know, it's this little like gray box thing that kind of like springs. Mm -hmm. So you turn you just turn it in the sensor. Um, stick it on your arm and then you push down and it pushes this little cannula. It's like a tiny little skinny, skinny needle. It doesn't even hurt. It's like the most painless thing ever. I think the worst part of it is the sound of it. Like it's just loud when you like, <laughs> stick the sensor on. So that's like, that was scary to me. And then I was like, oh wait, it didn't even hurt. Like I didn't even feel it really. And then it just lives on your arm. It's like stuck to your arm for 14 days and it does not come off. Like you obviously like I shower every day. I exercise, I get sweaty and it stays on the full 14 days and it works the full 14 days. So it's a really great tool. Um, and it's not intrusive. Mm -hmm. Um, if you're not used to wearing a medical device at all, then at first it's a little weird. Cause you're like, Oh yeah, I have this thing on my arm or I can't lay on it a certain way, or you forget about it because it's so, it just kind of like blends in. It's just, just there mm -hmm. um which i think is the best part about it because you know like you know that it's there but you forget that it's there until you really need it and i think that's the best part about it is like you don't even have to think about it yeah definitely um and then i have two questions that i ask everyone and the first one is um you mentioned that you're a book reader so what book would you recommend to the readers them um, to the listeners excuse me um it could be on any topic at all I think, okay, I think right now my favorite book is a cookbook called Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat. Mm -hmm. um, there's a Netflix show about it. It's by Samin Nosrat, and it's just a book about those four elements of cooking. Mm -hmm. It is one of the best basic cookbooks I think anybody could read and it really applies to anybody who likes to make food really? um, yeah I think it's it's just such a fun book because it it helps you make food that is just so incredibly delicious but so simple um, and I think that's what a lot of people need and I think that's another reason that a lot of people don't like cooking is because they think it's so involved and there's so much cleanup and there's so much stuff and you have to buy all these ingredients but mm -hmm. I think that book takes those four basics and shows you that you can make some of the most delicious food you've ever tasted with just those four elements um, so I would say if anyone's like looking to pick up a good cookbook and just kind of one that goes through the basics that's a great one to have and it's on my bookshelf constantly like I have books that are kind of like in a credenza that I'm just like eh, I don't read these very much but mm -hmm. that book is always out on my bookshelf and it's so messy because it's always in my kitchen some of the pages are probably stuck together but <laughs> it's you I, yeah I love that one that's a great one <laughs> nice okay I have to look into that one too I want to get back into cooking like you said I feel like it's just so involved so I'm going to get back. That's my resolution this year is to actively start cooking more of our meals just to control how much we're eating of like certain things too. 
So I'll look yeah. into that. Thank you. Yeah, I will keep you accountable too. <laughs> yes, please do. I need that. I, I really do. <laughs> okay, and the last question is, um, what does wellness mean to you? Oh, that's a great question. That's a really good question. Um, I think for me, wellness is not just about your physical health. And like, I know we talked a lot about physical health today, mm-hmm. but I think it's about your physical health, your mental health, your spiritual health. It's, it's holistic. It's not just this one thing. It's all of these things that do the work to make you feel good. And I think oftentimes we forget that it's these many facets of these many many things, but I think wellness overall is, is really just the feeling that you get from taking care of yourself, however you take care of yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think when we think about wellness, we kind of think about like the kooky stuff, like, Mm -hmm goop or like, you know, Gwyneth Paltrow's like, I don't know, like jumping into a frozen lake and and like swimming and doing a breathing technique and that's wellness. But I think wellness for everyone is so different. And it's just about how, how you keep yourself feeling good. Um, And for me, a lot of that has to do with physical health and mental health, whatever that means to other people. It's kind of like what what's going to make you feel the best at the end of the day. And, and that's the thing that you focus on for wellness. Oh, so well said. It's very personal. Yep. Thank you. Indeed. Let me tell you, you are a gem. Like I'm just, I'm so happy I came across your blog and then your Instagram. Like I just love your story, how you've taken something and you've made something for other people. I, I just think that's beautiful. It's amazing. I wish that we all had that spirit. Um, I feel like humanity would be a lot further um, if we all had your spirit. And I, I just love it. I'm just so happy to to know you now. <laughs> so- Thank you so much. And same, I'm so glad that we got to connect and that we got to have this conversation. And I'm sure that it will not be the last one. <laughs> no, it won't. It won't. It won't. And next time you're in Charlotte, I'm whether my kid is sick or not. <laughs> <laughs> oh, she's my favorite. Again, thank you so much for joining uh, the Be Well Sis podcast. Again, my name is Cassandra Dunbar. And please take a look at our show notes for any information and resources and links about anything that we discussed in today's episode. Please go ahead and um, hit up Mila. Her Instagram page is at The Hangry Woman. And her website is www.thehangrywoman.com. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and don't forget to become part of our family on Instagram. So go ahead, join the tribe. We are at BeWellSis underscore podcast on Instagram. Join us, slide in my DMs if you have any questions, list of topics that you'd want to discuss, anything and everything at all. Uh, Thanks again for joining me. I'm so excited to join, to go on this journey with you, excuse me. And I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks again. Be well, sis.